Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Today, we're going to be talking to Emil DeFelice, and you probably know him from Soda City Market here in Columbia. This interview, I'm not even really sure what to call it. It, it, It's a marketing class. It's an MBA-level lesson in business management, um, and it's a lot of things that I think a lot of people can learn from. We talk about the intersection of marketing and hospitality. We talk about failures and successes. But we also talk about the willingness to start small. Basically, it's a lot of things that I think people need to know about today that you're not hearing a lot about. Check it out. I do want to talk about the market, but I think that um, what I've learned in a string of conversations with you is you seem to be really good at taking a practical approach to learning stuff and then putting it into action. Yeah. Like marketing and, and understanding like retail psychology and stuff like that. So that's an easy one because what it really is, is uh, ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got them. I actually had a person come to me one time and say, listen, I've got so many great ideas and uh, you know, I'll just think of them and you go out and do them. No, bro, that is the, that's the name of the game. It's that execution part. Mm-hmm. So everybody can have an idea, but it is uh, executing the idea, which entails a lot of the stuff you just said or all the stuff you just said. So I think that's the first realization is um, to fall out of love with your idea immediately and start critiquing it um, and figuring out um, how to get it forward and how to stop it from moving backward and, and all those kinds of things. Did you use that process to start Soda City? Yes, super, super, super deliberate. Okay. Yeah. Not like the first iteration, all local farmers market. Um, or the previous things, my two different farm operations. Um, so when Soda City came around, we'd already been doing stuff since 2005, 2012, seven years in different spots. And, um, and I, uh, wanted to rebrand it because I felt that uh, all local farmers market, um, you know, even on my sign, I think, yeah, we did that. Definitely have a sign that said, yes, we have no bananas. I was in the store one day. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Harry, what's this, Chapin uh, yes. song? Um, I was in the store buying bananas the other day. I was like, why in the world would we deny our lovely guest bananas? <laughs> like, that's the worst thing. Um, so I don't want to call it all local farmers market. We want to focus on local food, but we should have bananas and mangoes and whatever else. Sure. If an exotic out-of-season stuff. Because we're trying to, you know, feed people, not be on the high road or something. So anyway, uh, I don't know where I found out about Paco Underhill, but that's that's really the chief. He was the chief, you know, informer of my uh, brand branding and thought strategy and everything. Else. So, so who is Paco Underhill? Paco Underhill, um, if you're watching this, Paco, thank you. Uh, is a is a very well known and internationally, you know, uh, regarded uh, retail consultant. He's the founder of Retail Science. Uh, out of Arizona, I think it was in the late 70s, was something called the Butt Brush Study, which involved women's clothing and how close women were to each other and how that affected sales. Um, and, you know, you fast forward to today when there's literally trillions upon trillions of data points, where you are on your phone, what the weather is, what charge you just made at Starbucks or whatever. But in those days, you know, you either had a survey or you set up a camera or something. And anyway, so he, he Pac Wonderhill, um, ended up writing a bunch of books that are super easy to read, but all, of course, science retail based. He was at the University of Arizona, if I recall correctly. Now he lives in New York and works for companies like Revlon and big stuff like that. Um, and 
anyway, these books are very easy to read and you can get them, you know, for 10, 12, 14 bucks. And um, you'll you start to believe immediately because you start to see yourself in hindsight reacting to things you didn't know you were reacting to, which is the heart of retail, right? So he goes over just so many different things um, from what letters are in most major brands to why shapes matter, to why colors matter, to why heights matter, what differences between men and women and whoever else, what are their, how are their reactions different to these kinds of things? So super, super informative. And even if you're not in business or retail or whatever, uh, everyone is consuming something and uh, you, you know, it would behoove anybody to read, you know, how, how they're, how they're working with you. you know? What made you want to, to study and to, and to learn that? Was it just curiosity? Was it from lessons learned from the past? Like what, what drew you to that? Mm, I don't know, man. <laughs> I guess that was, so I started researching that. Christian would come to our building. Uh, my buddy Christian Nimi from Bourbon and Black Rooster and the new one. Um, 2011, we started working together in the mornings, him doing my, you know, his stuff and me and my stuff at uh, 7-Eleven Whaley. And I don't know, I just, I, I don't know where I got all these books. Um, but once I read one, I read them all and uh, and then exactly came up with the name Soda City, exactly came up with our tagline, our shape, our sort of, how do you put all these thoughts into one graphic kind of thing? And then what do we do with it from there? So as a creator of something like Soda City, and, and again, we have an audience that is not just here. Uh, we've got a few people outside of Columbia that probably listen to this, but it's a, it's a, it's a market that's open on Saturdays. That's that's on several blocks of Main Street. But as the creator of it, and, and the person who, you know, you read these books about retail, you you studied, you worked for years on things that led up to that. Well, how do you describe it? Um, you know, not to, I don't want to like. Uh, mislead anybody. It's not any kind of stroke of genius. You have to understand the context of what was going on in my life at the time, which was <laughs> ethanol. I was a hog farmer and ethanol had uh, pushed corn up by about 400%. And um, my farm, Kalkal Creek, had this little, you know, uh, stepchild, the market, and it funded the market for whatever the market needed. And as my farm collapsed under these prices, uh, you can only hang out for a few months, you know, if you're doing 2,500 cash a week and it turns into 10,000 cash a week, you can't do that to your pricing, right? So um, anyway, so it was super, super apparent that I needed something and I needed something fast. So I had to be serious about it um, because, you know, two small children and a life and I had to keep trucking. So I turned to the sideshow and made it the main show. And even in the beginning, it wasn't obvious. I know it seems like a super success now, and it is, you know, four blocks, 180 plus vendors a week and all that. Um, but we started on Main Street uh, in October 2005 with 26 vendors, uh, where we had 33 vendors at 7-Eleven Whaley Street. And these 26 were basically just subjects of my begging them to be there. And begging the retailers on that one single block that we were on that we barely even half occupied. Why were they why were they skeptical? Why I mean why Well, did you people, people, you know, they, they see it they see a successful thing and, and that was successful. Um, and it would have continued to be successful. Um, but but I couldn't uh, support the request for double the rent because I didn't have any expansion. So after my first lease came up there, 
then they wanted to double the rent and like, ah, can't do that. So we'll go down to Main Street as Mayor Benjamin had suggested almost on a weekly basis for several years, which turned out to be what I thought was a crazy suggestion and it got more reasonable every time he asked. So it sounds like you had the support of, of the mayor at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it easy to get more of city council to support that? I mean, did, did it, was there a lot of friction there? Uh, there was a good bit of friction, but it's totally understandable. This is a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I mean, the old city manager was so like unused to even thinking about anything like this. He suggested, or he rather demanded that we have a market on one block on only one half of the street and that cars would be allowed to go on the other half of the street. And that's like, it's illegal in like five different ways. Um, but that just shows you like, uh, we're all, you know, we're all unaccustomed to what, what this looked like. On that first day with 26 vendors, I had 12 staff. Wow. That is hilarious. Yes. But I didn't know what to expect either. Right. You know, now we operate it with, you know, four, four staff or so, but we're, I don't know how many, 10 times bigger than that. Sure. And, um, uh, yeah, so anyway, we, it was a big learning curve for everybody. So you've gone from, you know, um, call call to all local to, to now it's it's Soda City. Started with, you know, 26 vendors that, you know, you say you had to beg, which is kind of hilarious to think about now in 2022, because I think so, I mean, all of Columbia practically has at least visited the market once and it's multiple blocks. But what, what do you think led to the, the success? Well, it's a natural thing. So just like with my pork business, I didn't, you know, invent anything. I I just reintroduced something that had been taken away from folks, right? This is what I call the Cracker Barrel phenomenon. The Cracker Barrel shows you what's been taken away. Your granny's house, all your cool stuff, (laughs) you know? And uh, so with with old-fashioned pastured pork, Call Call Creek, it was, um, you know, who doesn't love great pork? You know, people love every single part of the pig, so it's not even like a cow. You know, you, know, you don't get served cow's feet, but you get served pig's feet. Yeah. Um, and uh, so just like just like that, uh, you know, market, and I've always wanted to do like a talk, like a silent talk or almost silent, where you just click through pictures throughout history of markets, um, paintings, um, you know, <clears throat> in any depiction of markets around the world throughout history. I mean, it's a natural thing for, for non-nomadic people to have a center of gravity, and the center of gravity is called downtown. Um, and that was Mayor Benjamin's, you know, long time point number one, is that for all this rest of the grow, we gotta grow it from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, yeah, why did, why did people like it? Because it's something that they always have liked throughout human history and um, they didn't have it, and now they get it back again, so they like it. Yeah, it's like people have always liked being together yeah. outside yeah. with food and sort of dogs. fun and interesting stuff and dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like those are the ingredients. Um, so one of the things, going back to, to maybe, maybe the market, and, and I want to talk about some of the, the ways that, that you've chosen mm-hmm. to operate it, but... One thing that I think maybe people would find interesting is, is that you require vendors to apply Mm. to be vendors. In other words, it's not just, hey, I'm here, I'll pay you money and I get a spot, Mm. right? There's a a process. Take us through the process. Well, there's only a certain amount of spots and that's exceeded by the people of Columbia by thousands of percents. So you gotta, I mean, you gotta, 
that that's sort of reality number one. It's not not everybody can be there because there's only a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Reality number two is this: this is uh, sometimes what I call like a Nordstrom without a roof. We're making a store here. We're we're, give, we're making an experience. Mm-hmm. So you can't have four blocks of wall-to-wall soap vendors. No one's going to come for that. Right. Okay. What 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 this center of gravity downtown, uh, you know, town square, village square concept is 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 you know uh, not uniform uh, it's not some kind of giant product offering it's it's a range of things including things that don't cost any money at all like just meeting people and talking with people and getting fresh air mm-hmm. so um so we have to have you know we have certain categories that are closed right now because we just can't do it anymore and still have a reasonable semblance of you know uh, a variety of interest i've heard you talk about um in other conversations that you care deeply about your vendor's income. That is number one, yeah. Why is that number one for you? Well, so I don't know how this came to pass, probably because doing public events has such a low bar of entry, all you have to do is like convince some people and pay $5 (laughs) or whatever it is and go do an event. Yeah. What that completely misses when you see like a new housing development say, we're gonna have a market. Well, you know good and well, they're trying to sell houses. So the vendor isn't the priority. So once you burn the vendor once, it's gone. That, that that relationship is gone. So people really either underestimate or don't consider at all the amount of work, investment, and seriousness to which vendors bring to an event. So I see like I'm on this one hilarious Facebook group called Columbia Eats, which is full of energy and... Um, <laughs> Fun way to put it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, somebody will say, we want five, you know, we have four food trucks for my daughter's birthday party. I'm thinking, no, you know, that's not happening. Like, right. you don't get to have, like, all these people at your professional disposal just so, you know, Junior can have a hamburger and somebody else can have a pizza. That's not happening. So you got to you gotta understand that, like, for a four-hour market, that's another thing I see people doing is, like, having two-hour markets. Like, hmm, that's going to work. You got to prepare for that. A lot of people drive for that. Um, in addition to preparing for that, uh, it always, of course, involves the day and the days before that. And then afterwards, you've got to get home, drive, undo everything, put away everything, and then start your dang weekend. Um, nobody does this for fun. And we we, have, we get to have fun. But that only comes after making money. Because if you're not making money, then you're not going to come out and have the fun either. Mm. Uh, and from a vendor's point of view. So the first line in our acceptance letter is welcome to the city. The second line is your income is our priority. And um, in another unusual twist, um, no, no other market in the country that I've ever come across or looked for has any, any vestige of this type of language at all. Um, but when you, when you build that trust with a, um, a vendor, and they're going to invest in you and then you turn around and reinvest in them um, and reinvest in the community and so the other unusual thing about this arrangement is this is uh, this is a private company running a public event so most if not all other farmers markets in similar scenarios have uh you know are like the one in greenville the city sets up everything the tents and they supply literally dozens of cops for like two blocks of vendors Mm -hmm. Um, and just on and on and on signage tables everything yeah 
Um, we don't do any of that. So this is a, we are self-supporting. Um, so we don't have any grant monies, tax monies, public monies whatsoever. So, uh, you know. I think that would surprise people. I think that, you know, maybe your average person that goes there yeah. thinks that there's probably some kind of financial partnership between the city and the market. But mm -hmm. what you're saying is there's zero of that. I mean, you need, you need, need their permission to shut down the streets. Yeah. And that's about and the it. There is a, there's a huge financial relationship. And it's one way from this way to the city and to the public. Um, and that is because uh, the market pays for its own police officers. Um, and uh, and fire marshal and sanitation and all this other stuff. Um, uh, we don't re receive any of the hospitality tax. This could easily be the largest recipient of hospitality tax ever because there's just no numbers that compare to these numbers. Mm -hmm. We don't take any of that. Um, and along the way, because we're building this for these relationships with vendors um, and with the brick and mortars um, and the building owners, Everybody's making more money. Um, as the market expands and more and more thousands of people come and visit, they spend money at the brick and mortars. Um, they start to look up and they start to buy and renovate downtown apartments and other spaces. And all of a sudden we've gone from like literally hundreds of downtown residents, re residents uh, maybe 10 years ago to many thousands now in just 10 years. Um, and adding on to it all the time. That huge residential thing built, being built right next to the library will be the next chunk of uh, residents. Um, so then you see the value of real estate go up, rents go up, taxes go up, which benefits the government. Um, the value of the properties goes up, everything goes up. And, uh, you know, and that's a good thing. So there is a financial relationship. Uh, and that is a one-way deal where we try to set the scenario for um, excitement about downtown. And of course it works again, because the original principle was discussed. Did you think that those out, did, did you think about those kind of outcomes when you were starting? No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, I, I heard the words from Steve Benjamin, we right. have to grow our city, for <laughs> but you know, I, it, you know, um, when Muhammad Ali was getting beat up on the playground and his bike got stolen, was he thinking about the moment he's gonna be world champ? No. <laughs> right. Right. You know, you just gotta do what you gotta do and do your best. And um, I worked for a carpenter one time um, and he had a great saying that I always use and it's what can fail will fail. <laughs> so we try to button it down. It's a public, it's a public event, thousands of people. There's lots of points of failure. There's things we can control and things we can't control. Um, things we can control includes people's behavior or their actions. Uh, we can't control the weather. Um, we can control the, you know, our PR feed and, and it goes on and on and on. So we have to identify really in any business, every point of failure, possible failure. If it can fail, it will fail. Uh, when I was in the uh, pork business of shipping uh, FedEx, FedEx and pork up and down the East Coast, I started to gather numbers of FedEx drivers who serve my clients. So I've had a chef. You like their phone numbers? Yeah, the okay. cell phone numbers of FedEx drivers in cities and, and locations in which we normally deliver. Yeah. New York City, uh, Washington, D.C., wherever. Um, because that's a point of failure. Um, and I knew all I had to do was ask somebody for the guy's phone number. 
And those guys are independent contractors. They're happy to help you. You know. Interesting. So rather than even just rely on the tracking that 99% of us yeah, want, you're going That's directly. great. But if you've got, you know, $500 or $1,000 worth of product going somewhere and somebody needs it real bad, then you find every single way to make sure that happens. Yeah. Because probably on the other side of that, as a vendor, you know that if there were that that delivery failure that you probably couldn't control, there was another vendor probably waiting in the wings that could just yeah. deliver. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, yeah, that could yeah. get it. To, that, that restaurant wouldn't have to change the menu that night because yeah, yeah. your stuff didn't get there, even though you really had nothing to do with that point of failure. Right, right. That seems a little obsessive. I'm a total small business junkie. Um, I had a guy I saw in next door, uh, .com or something, .org <laughs> yesterday or a few days ago. Um, young guy, Grayson Mullins, and he was advertising that he was going to have, you know, he was, he was gonna auto detailing. Mm-hmm. And um, our market van is really high and I don't like to get up there and all that. So I wanted to wax and clean and all that. Came over, it turns out I was his third customer. And uh, he'd said a bunch of things which I found like alarming, not in the moral way, just like a, oh my gosh, you don't know what you're talking about kind of way. So I went in back in my house, I have pictures of it on my phone, because I didn't want to waste my effort, but I wrote him a business plan. <laughs> While he washed and waxed my car. And then I walked him through the business plan. And there's a do right now, and there's a do in one year, and then there's a reassess, call me back and let's get to the next year. Uh, so three little sections to the business plan. So yeah, it's totally obsessive. It's fun. It's like, you know, the expression, what can be measured can be improved. Once you realize that you're not just, a you know, just blowing in the wind, you just have to go wherever the wind's blowing and you go, oh my gosh, I have control over, you know, a lot of things here, some not. But once I start to measure these and examine these and research these and find out what letter is in most major brands uh, in the world, uh, you know, it's O by the way. In case you don't want to buy the book. You mean the letter O? Yeah. Interesting. So, call call, all local, Soda City, business junkie. You wrote a business plan yesterday for someone. I mean, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm doing it already. (laughs) No, it's fun. It's like, I mean, I, you know, sometimes we have to have our enforcement moments and nobody likes you after that, whatever, but... Um, but really, this is like 90% Santa Claus. I'm just helping people make money. You know, what? what's not to like about my day? Um, and I don't have to do the, you know, the little day-to-day things in, in our business anymore, which allows me more time to um, to help whoever turns up at the door. Grayson Mullins is never going to be a vendor at the market. Mm-hmm. And, but you may never wash my car. You may I'm going go to business. But I stress to him that this is a business plan not necessarily for yours, but just a basic outline of what you need to go do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, become an LLC, uh, et cetera. Get licensed and bonded. Have a business checking account. Connected to QuickBooks, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you um, talk about that because I think a lot of I think you've done a lot of things that that people imagine, and I'm not just sort of blowing glitter around the room, but. You know, it's it's taking um, maybe experiences that weren't so positive, trying to find something in them, learning things for yourself um, because of yourself, if you will, and then saying, "All right, I need a I need a real life canvas to try to paint this on." Yeah. So one thing some people may not realize is that as a farmer, I also was a vendor for many many years. Right. And I 
called at the end of that whole run, I looked back on it and came up with the term uh, that I, we were uh, victims of good intentions. <laughs> no one starts a market, like even if they want to advertise their, their restaurant or housing developer or something like that, with the intention of hurting a vendor. Um, but after, after vending at hundreds, if not thousands of, of, of you know, markets and so forth, um, it, it becomes painfully clear, like what we need from you guys, what you're giving us, what you're not giving us, market managers. And again, because there's such a low bar of entry, anybody can become one. And this is probably one of the, the rarer instances where a market is run by someone who's been a vendor for two decades. Mm -hmm. um, and was even a vendor at this. Is this still? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hard for me to put the timeline together, but yeah. Um, but I've even, I was even a vendor until the Concrete shut down at Soda City. It's interesting that you say that because I've seen kind of in my day job that a lot of the, the businesses that we work with that are very, very successful, that owner somewhere along the way was the customer. You know, they, they were that person that needed that product or that service because yeah. of a former iteration. Yeah. And so they thought, man, if I were gonna design something that I understand and can use and that's better than blank, 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 yeah. that's what I'm gonna do. And when they've gone out and done that, um, it, it seems like magic, but it's actually pretty deliberate. <clears throat> yeah. And well, also something that I've picked up, not only in this conversation that we're having now, but in, in subsequent conversations is, you seem willing to start small with things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, have you noticed that or, or? Yeah, that's also purposeful and it probably comes out of my um, uh, experience buying and selling uh, homes and renting them out, fixing them up like that. Um, but I immediately came up with a rule. I've done this like I don't know, over 20 times, but to not do anything other than fix the very, very necessary to a, to a house for the first full year so they understand how it really works where is the sun shining everything and then start to do it and um, I don't know what spurred me on to that but it's probably losing money somehow and so I just immediately realized that if we just inch this forward we'll make fewer financial mistakes because we'll know more so time is your friend um, in that regard and uh, rushing in, in any context doesn't, you know, unless you're like a runner, uh, doesn't ever seem to turn out well. Yeah, and, and you've got living proof of that. As an observation, that does seem to kind of fly in the face of a lot of sort of advice and um, even anecdotal stuff that you hear today about you have to speed, 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 fail fast, do these things quick, 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 quick. But Again, you look at kind of the arc of your career and what you've done in business. And to me, it's noticeable that you're you're willing to start small yeah. and, and even to, to be slow, as some people would measure, mm -hmm. would measure things like that. Well, one of the things um, that affects that attitude is that I've never worked for anybody else. And I don't really know what other people are saying like these things. I, I, that, that's a new... Thank you for the information. I didn't know. Um, so I just do the things the way I've learned to do them the best and to come out with the best results. I do that. Uh, but I, I don't really know anything about how normally 
normal companies run. Uh, I was recently introduced to the concept of, um, what's that called? An offer letter. In real companies, when you offer someone a job, you give them an offer letter. Yeah. And it says all the stuff in there. Mm -hmm. um, and even the first one I wrote, <laughs> I thought it was so ridiculous. And then somewhere I put it, and I said, and that's not all, a new washer and dryer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, honestly would have like, uh, required me to buy that person a washer and dryer, which would also have been funny, uh, but that didn't happen anyway. So yeah, I mean, all these things about how companies run, I have no idea. I, I need to make this stuff work. Yeah, it's, um, it, I guess the word I would say is it's, it's just, it's noticeable because again, you, you see a, a huge herd that's out there, maybe in the business community that uh, probably their biggest fear is to be seen as different. You know, yeah. They want to be associated with like, oh, well, you do this just like so-and-so. Okay, now I understand you. Now I can put you in a box and understand mm -hmm. what you're what you're doing. But I think that that for people that are watching this or listening to it, there are still people that are very successful that aren't just zigging where people are zagging, but they're doing things for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lesson today that people sort of need to be reminded about is, you know, what are your reasons for doing it? It's based on your experience, based on your skills, based on expertise, you yeah. know, whatever, but you're doing it for your own reasons. Yeah, so that brings up like, I'm also confused about what other businesses do because I think your reasons are sometimes bizarre. Like, I don't understand how you can name your business Kathy's Country Crafts and think you're going anywhere. Or, you know. Okay. Uh, Ophelia's Delights or whatever that's like. So what's like, wrong? So, uh, you know, first of all, that's KKK. That's a terrible acronym. Um, you know, I mean, just no, no, to, to me, like so few people take marketing seriously or their public image seriously. So, I, I mean, and we deal now with literally thousands of businesses and it's just amazing what I see people coming and still doing. So what's when, your... when, they, when we get an email from a vendor, we need to we need something, something, something this Saturday. It's, it's come from Danny Boy at XRYTOL178 at Yahoo.com. I'm like, I don't know who you are. You haven't put your, your name anywhere here. So I gotta go in and go copy and paste your email address, say, who are you? Like, look at other emails from you, deduce who you are, but how can you be in a business and not have your dang name in an email address? Like, what is going on? What's your uh, working definition of marketing? I, I think that's just mystifies a lot of people is what is marketing? What, what's uh, your working? Always examining your relationship with everyone else. You know, we don't market just the public, we market to residents. Um, we market to business owners. We market to, you know, the brick and mortars, to city government, to Governor McMaster. I mean, we, we want everybody to have, you know, um, uh, a perception of us, or, you know, uh, a feeling, a, a something, the information about us, whatever. So it's not always about getting customer X to buy Y. That's not, that's, that's a portion of it. Marketing involves, um, something that uh, uh, is called for us, and again, I don't see this anywhere, you attitude. Mark, Mark uh, so the city doesn't, you don't see it talking about itself very frequently. The one thing I guess you could construe is that we publish the market map on Thursday or Friday on social media, but um, we want the guests to see the get themselves. And in, in it's, it's, it's them. We are, we are um, uh, set designers or you know, producers or something like that. The story isn't about 
the director of the play, the story is about the actors that do the play. Mm -hmm. And part of the actors in this play are the general public and whoever's affected by this enterprise mm -hmm. at large. So we want to communicate with everybody, which means always examining how, what that communication looks like. Mm -hmm. And you attitude, to go back to that super important concept, uh, we try to instill this in, into emails, to individuals and wherever else. But we, we, we avoid the use of the first person, singular or plural, and we always include you. Mm -hmm. um, people, and we have a whole, you know, talk about obsessive, but I got a whole list of writing rules. We avoid any negative words like no or but, or anything like that, don't, stop, nothing. Um, nothing would be a good one um, to avoid. Uh, and anyway, so it goes on and on, but uh, the, the the central point of you attitude is we're talking about you because you, you the reader, the viewer, um, are not thinking about something going on over here. You're thinking about you and your Saturday. Mm -hmm or your you know, next adopted pet or whatever it is that we're showing. You know, when I listen to you describe that, it almost sounds like sort of a close cousin of hospitality. Oh, it is hospitality, 100%. I'm in the hospitality business. Yes, 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 yes. Interesting. Yes. This is, I have always been in the hospitality business, even in the farm sector, because I'm dealing with restaurants. I'm dealing with the back of the house usually, Somewhat frequently, I was actually dealing with the front of the house because they needed to be able to talk about things. And then as the the food world spun, like in sort of hyper activity, and when it first sort of blew up, um, and I happened to be around doing my thing, I mean, we became the stars at the front of the house and we were constantly trotting about the country to talk to diners and give a little Q&A and do all this. I've been on private planes, and limos, and all sorts of stuff, giving Mercedes for the weekend. I mean, just on and on, just an absolutely bizarre, you know, thing for to happen to a hog farmer. But yeah, <laughs> but there we are, and you know, at um, at uh, Blackberry or Sea uh, um, Island Resort or uh, a nice place in uh, Bluffton, all these other places, um, restaurants in New York or DC. So it's all there. That's really interesting that the tie-in with, with with hospitality, because I think, again, in terms of a of an attribute of a business, we think that that's an industry. Mm -hmm. you know, attitude, oh, you're in the hospitality attitude, industry. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. I'm born to bus. I live by these sayings, okay? I got a hundred of them. Thousand. Let them rip. <laughs> born to bus means bus tables, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm just constantly... Scooping up, cleaning, that's my nature. I'm mad at you for leaving your dish out, I don't care. The dish is going into the you know, dishwasher. And um, so I'm naturally a hospitality person. My mother was in the hospitality business. Um, I probably learned a lot of that from her. Um, I, I have a little tiny LLC for my Airbnb called Hayward Street Hospitality. Um, came up with a great word that illustrated something I always put in practice anyway, but when we started up Mardi Gras, in 2011, um, I wasn't familiar with Mardi Gras as a concept at all, other other than the typical imaginations. But um, uh, but my 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 uh, buddies, my best friends, uh, Christian and Tom Hall, were very familiar with it, and so we got this thing off the ground. And um, the word that came out of that, one of the one of the concepts that came out was lanyap, L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E, mm -hmm. lanyap. And lanyat means always give more than is expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so 
in any type of relationship. Uh, you know, I bought a couch the other day from a guy who took a long time to make it. And uh, he charged me an absurdly low price. It was like, this is impossible. It's just impossible. I know what material costs. I know it is impossible. So I wrote the check for far larger than what he was charging me because he too needs a business plan, apparently. Um, so you want, you know, he was expecting this. I delivered that. The next time I call for something, you know, I'm sure he's going to be happy to speak with me. Um, and it's for the vendors as well. Um, I've coached you know, hundreds and hundreds of vendors on simple things like how high your table should be, where should you be on that table, where should you be in your tent, all this stuff matters. And I can I can change a, a, the context, a dynamic of a booth literally within 10 minutes. Um, and if, if they let me, and I do, and they and they do, and it does. So just simple retail concepts that I, if I can see that you can, you could use my help, I'll stop in the market. Now we don't charge for this or anything, but that's the line up in that relationship. Um, so promise low, deliver high, promise high, deliver higher, however you want to look at it. Yeah. So it's an attitude hospitality, line yeah. up, you know? I do it in, in my Airbnb, um, some lady was all, strung up about the game this weekend and they moved it from Saturday to Thursday and da 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 and I'm sitting there thinking I'm not gonna sell Thursday night anyway at this rate what is it Wednesday mm -hmm. so I said you know what I did she's worried about the rain the weekend and all this. I said you know what? I'll just give you Thursday night and that way you'll sort of hedge your bets you'll get a free night see the game you don't have to worry about the rest of the weekend because you already got a good deal stay here it rains everywhere rain the last time you were here by the way um <laughs> You know, so just like, oh, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. We, we look at problems over email as opportunities. Um, another one of my sayings, bring me a solvable problem. A child with terminal cancer can't. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, so problems are really, you know, solvable problems are an opportunity to build a stronger relationship. Um, so if somebody comes forth with some grievance, and they very frequently do, um, the answer is never to, you know, be defensive and all cap them back or something. But uh, another great saying, uh, get curious, not furious. Get curious, not furious. Just ask questions. Nine out of 10 times the person just wants to be heard. We had some guy flipping his lid a couple weeks ago about how one of our staff worded a short email. He didn't think that this word really meant this. Da, da, da. Did that affect anything, the content? No, but he just didn't, when I got to it, when I finally, I picked up the phone and called the guy. Mm. But when I got to it, that was his main issue is that he didn't really like the way she, she used certain vocabulary words. And it wasn't even subjective. It, it had nothing to do with insulting him or not insulting him, nothing to do with that. He, he just thought it could have been written better. <laughs> I'm sure he's right. I feel like we need to like somehow turn this into a webinar where you just you know give these these little lessons um, because while they're simple, they're not necessarily easy. They do take conscious effort and 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 I think like you said, an attitude and a desire to want to be that way. But I think for someone that that chooses to do that, like you've done, you've seen all this good fruit, good results. Yeah. from doing that, you know, but I think a lot of times people think, well, I'm taking too big of a risk to take the extra time 
or, you know, I'm really not that curious. I really, I want to skip to furious because I'm, I'm justified. I have a right mm -hmm. to, to feel that way, if you will. Um, and there's a lot of fuel, you know, going on those fires uh, these days about rights, if you will. Um, but I think, again, you, you've taken it where everybody encounters situations like this or they encounter a lot, especially if you're in business, uh, which is about relationships and about doing things with and for other people. Um, but I just think it's really cool how, like, you're living this, you're you're doing this. And I think that's a message that people, I think that needs to be sort of shouted from the rooftops. You need to get you some billboards or something like that and just, I agree. <laughs> My name is Emily Felice and I agree with this message. <laughs> no, uh, Joe Taylor actually mentioned the other day and he mentions a lot of stuff, um, but that he said, I want to put you down at Midlands Tech to do a business, small business course. I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. So I'm up for anything. And like I said, I'm a junkie. Um, uh, I had a lady starting a, a market in, uh, somewhere in Arkansas. And I'm so sorry, I know you're busy. There's a lady, I will talk to you about this stuff until you hang up on me. <laughs> I love it. You know, I, I love it. It's it, Again, it's like 90% Santa Claus. It's just bringing, you know, old knowledge and old mistakes to the table so you can get new knowledge and new mistakes. Another mentor of mine, Ari um, uh, uh, Weinzig from Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm. um, actually helped kill my farm because, my farm business, because he said, if you are waking up to the same problems every day mm. and you can't do anything about it, it's time to get out. You have to wake up to new problems. And that's the, mo that's the moment of clarity I needed to see that I can't control commodity worldwide corn pricing. And that's my problem I wake up to every day. So therefore, I have to get out. Makes it very, very simple. And in a, you know, a, a broader and different context with vendors, I don't want you guys making the mistakes that I already know not to make. Don't have your table at 30 inches. Have it at 42 inches. Have a place for ladies to set her purse down. Have a place that's shaded so the stroller can park there, whatever. Um, frame yourself in your booth. You know, Don't get too far back in the booth. It just goes on and on. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 there was a book a while back, many, I guess years ago now, Blink, I'm sure everyone's familiar with, and I've forgotten everything that's in it, except the basic concept, which is that we make decisions that we don't even know we're making. Mm -hmm. And those, those are the types of things I, I like to adjust at a, at a market booth, because you, you're either gonna walk past, or you're gonna stop, or you're gonna take a quick look. But as you come down the, the road, little signals are going to tell you to go in or out or do that or not and without you actually being conscious of it. So that was sort of one of the big premises about Blink and one of the things that is true when you're looking at a retail situation. Um, we could just exaggerate it, but like if you want to, you know, uh, put some kind of gigantic speaker right in front of your booth and blast music um, intolerably loud, no. You know, you're, you, maybe in that case it's a conscious thing conscious decision, but, but there are reasons people are going to pay attention to something or even unconsciously ignore it. And we can tease those things out by doing some very simple things. Thank you for sharing all this. Um, I really actually hate cutting this off, but at some point we're either going to run out of batteries <laughs> or, or gonna... vape juice. <laughs> Support your local vape store, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for making this fun. Thanks for making it interesting. My and pleasure. Thanks for just doing all these things that, that you're doing and for being Santa Claus. 
We need that. Thank you. Thank you. And for everybody else out who doesn't know, this man knows how to analyze the business and analyze our business, and I recommend him highly. It's called <laughs> Pendleton Street Business Advisors. They're on Shirley Avenue. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Thank Appreciate you so much. It.